Judge Jeanine Pirro. She's the outspoken host. Judge Jeanine Pirro is dominating the headlines right now. Tunnel to Towers Foundation presents the Judge Janine Pirro Show. Now, here's Judge Janine Pirro. Welcome, everyone, to the Judge Janine Tunnel to Towers Foundation Show. I hope everyone is enjoying their day so far. It is a wonderful day here in New York City. I always love being in the city. And as always, we are armed and ready to serve justice with all my great listeners here on the Red Apple Audio Network. Uh, on this uh, Veterans Day weekend, and I don't want to uh, go any further without discussing the fact that on Friday we celebrated Veterans Day, the veterans who do so much for you and me. Uh, both my dad and my granddad are veterans, were veterans. Uh, they served in World War II in the Navy. And from the time I was a kid until today, there is always an American flag flying in front of my home and uh, we should never and can never forget the veterans for what they have done for us and as frank siller says uh the head of tunnel to towers foundation it's time that we do good for those who've given their service uh, and their lives many of them for us but in any event there is so much that happened this week in america it's always great on sundays to look back at the week at the crazy week So they told us it was going to be a red wave last Tuesday when Americans went to vote. Well, uh, I guess not. Uh, Apparently, it was not a red wave, Uh, more like a red undercurrent. Uh, It wasn't what people expected it to be. And uh, we're still waiting in a lot of the races, which is going to be an issue that we'll talk about later in the show. But, you know, they told us, the Democrats told us that if we didn't vote Democrat, democracy will die. Democracy would die if we didn't vote Democrat. Well, here we are right after the election. Democracy is alive and well. And behold, the day after the elections, the democracy is still alive. It did not die. There was no funeral. It is still alive and strong in America, but a political autopsy might be appropriate. And that's what we're going to do on today's show. Uh, Then what I'd like to do is get some thoughts from a Democrat. So you're going to hear from a Democrat today who has a very interesting take, a young Democrat who uh, is with me on the five uh, periodically, Jessica Tarloff, a very, very smart lady who has her own take on what happened in America this past week. And uh, we're also going to be talking about what will happen uh, in Georgia. There's definitely going to be a runoff in Georgia. Neither Raphael Warnock or Herschel Walker made the required 50%. So there's going to be a runoff, God help us. On December 6th, there's going to be a runoff. Let's just hope that they keep it in Georgia and that the whole country and the rest of the world doesn't get involved. Because, folks, this is about Georgia. It's about what Georgians think. It's about who they want to be their representative in the United States Senate. Uh, And I hate the idea of having to go through a runoff. And hopefully it'll be done with grace and dignity by both parties and by the outsiders who can't wait to inject themselves in these races. Now, let's talk about Arizona. They are still counting in Arizona, God help us. I don't know what's wrong with them. I don't understand. I don't understand why a state like Florida can get the counting done and declare a winner 
virtually within two hours of the polls closing and the winner goes out and accepts and the uh, and the loser uh, concedes. Now, you know, what are we talking about? They're still counting in Arizona. Is there a difference in the mentality of between Floridians and Arizonans? I don't think so. Are we talking about a different language? I don't think so. Are we talking about different methods? Are blind people counting in Arizona? What is taking so long? And by the way, I don't know about you, but I am tired of election season. I believe in election day. Now, I understand that some people might not be able to vote on election day. Well, get your butt out and get an absentee ballot and vote that way. Hell, if you're in the military and you're in Germany or Egypt or wherever you might be, you can send in an absentee ballot. You sure as hell can do it if you live in the United States. But why this season? Why a season for voting? It's just a mess, folks. It's just a mess. They want to make it more. They want to make it easier. They want to make it simpler. They've made it more complicated. And you know what? The problem is that it shouldn't happen this way. We shouldn't still be counting votes on Sunday when the election was Tuesday. And honestly, I think that somebody, there's got to be some control over this. You know, get the absentee ballot and call it a day. If you can't vote on election day, do what you have to do like everybody else who isn't going to be home on election day. And the, the problem is, folks, it contributes to fraud or at the very least the perception of fraud. Either way, it's a problem. And I don't know what's better. Are machines better? Are people counting better? Finding boxes, uh, you know, here, there, late votes coming in. You know, we've got to be confident that there is voter integrity. And, you know, we've got to be confident that there is no voter suppression. And speaking of voter suppression, the queen of voter suppression, Stacey Abrams, who literally put this country into a uh, into a, a bind where people were starting to wonder whether democracy is alive and well in the United States. Stacey Abrams, running for governor of Georgia against Brian Kemp, says there was voter suppression. That's why I didn't win. I didn't win. I mean, talk about a Democrat who doesn't want to admit she didn't win. Uh, and then all of a sudden, all of a sudden, in the next race, she got her tail handed to her. So there were more people voting in Georgia this election, pre-election day, than they've ever seen. So stop with this voter suppression nonsense. And, and by the way, I saw somebody on The View, one of them on The View says, there is voter, uh, voter suppression. And they asked her for the evidence. And she said, a friend of mine, it took her an hour to get through the ballot. Not through the line to get the ballot, folks. To get through the ballot. What are you stupid? I mean, didn't you know the issues before you went in? Don't you study who you're going to vote for? And if you don't, then shame on you. You get what you deserve. And up next on the Judge Jeanine Tunnel to Towers Foundation show, I will be speaking with Texas Secretary of State John B. Scott. It's all coming up right here on the Red Apple Audio Network. He's going to tell us why they can count the votes and get out a winner in the same night. Shocking. And up next on the Judge Jeanine Tunnel to Towers Foundation show, I will be speaking with Texas Secretary of State John B. Scott. He's going to tell us why they can count the votes and get out a winner in the same night. Shocking. This is the Judge Jeanine Show. This is 
is the Judge Janine Show. Now, here's Judge Janine Puro. Welcome back to the Judge Janine Tunnel to Towers Foundation Show. Joining us now is the Secretary of State for the State of Texas. His name is John B. Scott, and I'd like to welcome him to the Judge Janine Tunnel to Towers Foundation Show. A little bit about John. Uh, he was appointed by Governor Greg Abbott to serve as the 114th Texas Secretary of State. Uh, he has over 33 years of experience uh, as an attorney, trying over 100 lawsuits, cases, United States Supreme Court level, Supreme Court of Texas. Guys, this guy's uh, not just a talker. He's walked the walk. Uh, he's won some historic courtroom victories. And uh, he is here to tell us today about how it is that in the state, the great state of Texas, which I absolutely love, uh, they were able to get it done to count those uh, votes as if it was no big deal. While the rest of the country is just biting their nails and waiting for states like Arizona to figure out what the heck happened on Election Day. So, John, Secretary of State, John Scott, thanks so much for being with us. Uh, well, first of all, John, can you tell us how long it took you to actually declare a winner. Let's talk about the gubernatorial race. How long and what time, if you recall? So those, it took about two hours to have most of the results that we needed to understand what was happening that night. By statute, they all have to have them in within election night returns within 24 hours, or we switched to uh, operating under a court order at that point in time for those counties. So what does that mean? Within 24 well, hours, if they're not in, what happens? Then they have to stop counting, and that only occurred in one county. Uh, that was Harris County, our largest county. Right. Uh, and they are somewhat different than the other 253 counties that got all their stuff in, some as quick as 25 minutes after the election was over. Um, they finished theirs yesterday, uh, but they did so under court oversight. So starting at I 7 see. p.m., which is 24 hours after the polls closed, they have to then go to a court, get an order, explain why it is they need the order, and then the court acts as a monitor over uh, the operations that go on. So it becomes highly uh, – the oversight and transparency become even more exaggerated than it currently is. Well, you know, uh, Secretary of State John Scott, that sounds like a great thing, oversight when you're past, you know, the election night or 24 hours so that – look, it, it, John, it is the perception – of fraud. It is the perception of, of you know, the illegal counting of ballots that, that's the problem. Uh, I don't want to believe that it's real, but in some cases it clearly is. I mean, I was a prosecutor. I prosecuted or had my assistant DAs prosecute election fraud. Um, but, you know, it is so important that people have confidence. So let me back up. So here you are, Secretary of State, in charge of uh, the elections and the count in Texas. Two hours later, you declare... Uh, Greg Abbott, the winner uh, as governor of Texas. And uh, just so you know, in terms of my political leanings, thank God. Uh, uh, and uh, Beto O'Rourke, uh, what was this, his third time running? Or what, what, This guy's a perennial uh, 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 he, he, he gobbles up a lot of the campaign donations. <laughs> what has he got, a sister in the business of being a consultant that he funnels the money to? That's a joke, folks. Uh, I mean, why? Why waste all that money, Secretary of State? I, you'd have to go to him for that answer. I, I, I think it is uh, almost amusing at this point in time when you, when you get someone that is that popular in one party that he 
really blocks out all the other uh, folks in there. And, and there's a lot of really, really quality Democrats in the state of Texas as well. Sure. Uh, and it, when you look at the legislative sessions, how they work together, it, it really is not a state where there is a lot of uh, differences. It's a very conservative state on both sides of the aisle. Let so me tell you something. Ideas, you are so right. The people in Texas, I don't see them as divided politically. Sure, they're divided ideologically in terms of party, but they love America and they love Texas. Am I right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So let's talk about, okay, two hours, folks. If you just tuned in, Secretary of State John B. Scott from the great state of Texas and uh, once a Republic of Texas, uh, who's telling us how they got the numbers counted in uh, in two hours. So let me let me just run this by uh, my listeners. All right. So Florida has the third largest population in America. They had their votes counted in hours and Texas had their votes counted in two hours. Arizona is the 14th largest, still only has 70 percent counted. So there are millions more ballots that you guys counted than in Arizona. But but why? What is it? What mechanism do you use to count ballots? Are we talking paper ballots, machines? What are we talking? It's a combination. So we had over eight million people vote in this last election. And um, starting two days into the early voting cycle, we allow the um, counties that are above 300,000 to start processing those mail ballots. And again, people will say, well, somebody's going to know. Well, that's a different issue. If somebody's cheating and violating the law and letting some of that information slip out, we have remedies for that. Um, at the close of early voting, that next day, we allow those same counties that are above 300,000 to start processing those ballots and tabulating those results so that by election day, the vast majority, well, almost 100% of everything that's come in has, in fact, been tabulated and is ready for uh, publication of those results at 7 o'clock at the close of the polls. Right. So we're really only dealing then with election night returns. We, we've got a lot of, you know, if somebody does a mail ballot, they can, as long as it's postmarked before 7 o'clock on election day and gets to that county, the election folks, before 5 o'clock the next day, it can be counted. Otherwise, it's out of luck. Um, and I think that's really the thing that the legislature has set up for us to, that's made it successful, which is laws that put real tight guidelines on when the things are, when the votes are to be received and the ones, if they're received on time, great, they're counted. And if not, you're out of luck. Do a better job what, next year. What, what makes you decide? I mean, I'm, I'm just curious. I remember the hanging chads in the presidential race in, in Florida years ago. Um, but but why some machines and, and why paper ballots? I mean, what do the machines do? I mean, there's so much talk about the machines. Are they better? Are they um, why would you use a combination? I think a lot of where we are today is a result of fixes to past problems. So we went away from paper for a long time and went to electronic recording devices. And then people became uncomfortable with those devices, and they wanted a paper backup that they could compare the results of the machine tabulation to the results of the actual paper ballots. And that's where we are today in almost 100% of our counties. We have a few that are transitioning still to that path. Um, for all practical purposes, Judge, you, those results are tabulated onto a, 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 a what would be equivalent of a flash drive. Yep. Uh, as soon as they're inserted into the ballot box there at the various lo voting locations so that on election day, they trans 
report that device along with the paper ballots to the central count, and that's where it all takes place at the 254 counties we have. All right. Let me ask you about Arizona and the fact that so much is up in the air right now. Um, why do you think they're having so much trouble in Arizona, specifically, uh, where is it, Maricopa County? Is that where the problem is? I, and I just know what I know from watching the news, and it looks like the real problem is statutorily they have a very open-ended system for their mail ballots. Um, and, and again, at some point in time, it's to your point earlier, there has to be confidence in the election process. Mm-hmm. And allowing people to have their ballots arrive up to a week afterwards uh, like they're doing, it, it doesn't make a lot of sense. Um, we allow that for military uh, and U.S. citizens overseas, but that's it. And it's a relatively small percent of, of the votes. So there's a way to fix the, the system they've got, but it's going to probably take the legislature in those locations, Nevada and Arizona, changing their current laws. And, you know, for those states like Texas, like Florida, that, you know, have got it uh, under control and people have confidence in it, the, the, the sheer length of the time that it takes to declare a winner uh, just simply creates skepticism. Uh, John Scott, Secretary of State uh, from a, a Texas, a state that gets it done, no surprise. Let, let, let me ask you about um, the, the, the politics in Texas. I mean, when Governor Abbott made the decision to move uh, the illegals uh, wherever he moved them, uh, I'm not quite sure what state. I know that DeSantis moved them to uh, Martha's Vineyard. And the governor, uh, uh, Abbott, moved them wherever. Oh, maybe it was the naval yard <laughs> outside of Kamala's house. I personally had no problem with that. And apparently the people of Texas and Florida didn't have a problem either. But you are inundated there with the illegals coming across. What What's going on? I mean, are the towns being overrun? Are the schools, you know, being overrun? What is it like being a border state? I think that uh, the the real issue is the impact on those local communities, um, mm-hmm. and the governor is trying his best to operate within a fairly narrow band of potential remedies that the state can do, and and providing voluntary rides to folks that want to go to different locations, mm-hmm. uh, sanctuary cities uh, that aren't in Texas is great. Uh, it helps relieve a, a lot of the impact. It does not mean the impact has gone away in those locales because it's it, it is uh, it's tragic uh, what has happened on the border um, yes. and it continues to happen every day. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's no question that the rest of America, as far as I'm concerned, is, and I've been to the border many, many times um, with my shows, but the rest of America needs to experience this. You know, it's like anything else. You know, there's these there's an intellectual you know, assessment of what's going on. But then when it's right in front of you, it's real and you have a gut reaction to it. And America's still got to deal with that. All right. My final question to you, Mr. Secretary of State from Texas, who was able to get those numbers counted within two hours of the uh, uh, of the polls closing. What is the best system you think for counting uh, ballots in this country? You know, how far out should it be? How far beyond should it be? Should elections be federalized? I don't think they should be federalized. And there is a movement sometimes in Texas that get, assert a lot more control over the locals. Uh, I, I think the decentralization is one of the great strengths. Uh, it also allows a little bit of r- r- comparison, kind of a relativity of when somebody says, well, this is a difficult election to operate. 
we've got 254 examples of how it's operating. They do it under one set of rules, the same set of rules. Mm-hmm. So when somebody gets across the finish line so quick and there's one that doesn't, we know there's a problem and we can direct our resources toward fixing some of the issues that are in that problem. John B. Scott, Secretary of State in the great state of Texas. We appreciate your sharing uh, your experiences and uh, our congratulations to Governor Abbott uh, for a great win uh, against a really inept candidate. Uh, although I am sure that this will not dissuade that inept candidate, Beto O'Rourke, from running again. The congratulations goes to uh, the governor, Governor Greg Abbott. John B. Scott, thanks so much for being with us today on the Judge Janine Tunnel to Towers Foundation show. Judge, thank you so much for having me, and have a great weekend. You too. All right. And never forget, everyone, that's the commitment we made on 9-11. Honor it by donating $11 a month. To the Tunnel to Towers Foundation at T2T.org. That's T, the number two, T.org. This is the Judge Janine Show. Now, here's Judge Janine Bureau. Welcome back to the Judge Janine Tunnel to Towers Foundation Show. Joining us now is a Fox News contributor and a rotating host on the Fox News show, The Five, which is the one I'm on. She sits to my left, and uh, although we battle it out politically, we are friends. So join me in welcoming Jessica Tarloff to the Judge Janine Tunnel to Towers Foundation show. A little bit about Jessica. She joined Fox News uh, as a contributor, I believe, in 2017. But uh, she actually uh, has a Ph.D., uh, having gone to the London School of Economics, she has a doctorate in uh, philosophy, uh, philosophy and political science and government. She's a really bright lady. Uh, she's a woman, I should say. She slowly became recognized for her expertise on the topic of politics. And uh, she is also a senior director for research and consumer insight with uh, Bustle. Uh, and we are thrilled to have her on today. All right, so Jessica, why don't you give us the 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 lowdown on what your impression was of the election on Tuesday in terms of how much we know so far? Well, first of all, thank you for having me. It's a, a pleasure to be with you on your radio show, as it is every time that I get to sit next to you on the five. Yeah. Um, my impressions of what's gone on so far is that it was obviously a bit surprising for Republicans who thought that they were looking at a red wave, a red tsunami coming, um, and that at the ballot box it played out a little differently, I think principally because of the issue of abortion, which has been such a hot topic um, since the Dobbs ruling in the summer. And so that was something that I think people really didn't see coming, and frankly, the polls weren't showing that either. It had kind of slipped to the fourth or fifth most important right. issue. And, right. and then it took on uh, new importance when people actually went to cast their votes. And did we find that out, Jessica, based on the exit polling? Exactly. Yeah, very early on exit polls um, from our network and from other networks were showing that abortion by far and away it was uh, it started at 44, 44. Then it ended up being a 53-point advantage for Democrats. On the abortion issue, it was the number one issue for Democrats and a lot of independents, um, and it was the number two issue nationally. And Republicans really needed it to be inflation as the number one, which it was, but then to be crime and policing or something else that favored them in order to have the night that they expected. Well, clearly, um, you know, everybody thought and, you know, as we all pontificated that, you know, 
It, abortion is an issue, of course, and it really is about sending it back to the states. But at the same time, you know, you buy groceries every week, you fill up your mm-hmm. gas tank. You know, everyone was so convinced that it was the about the economy, stupid, to use a phrase. Uh, <laughs> Jessica Tarloff, and I'm not talking about you, obviously. Yeah. Um, and, um, you know, it, it was just stunning. It was stunning, I think, for Republicans and Democrats uh, that it really, really cut to the core of a midterm election, which historically goes against the president in power. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the outlier in that is obviously George W. Bush, but we were, you know, just post 9-11, right? Mm-hmm. right <laughs> and and right. going into those long wars and, you know, we were unified as a country and, and behind the president at that moment. It's typically not how it goes, even for presidents who have incredible legacies like Ronald Reagan and Bill Clinton. Um, so it was a surprise on that front. Um, independents were really a huge factor in this. I, I'm sure you remember the Wall Street Journal survey and a number of other surveys showed this huge swing of independence away from Democrats to Republicans. Um, white suburban women, remember that was a 15-point swing yes. um, predicted the week before the election. Right. Um, and it's really interesting. Stan Greenberg, who's a Democratic pollster, um, just released some data this morning talking about what happened with late breakers, people who decided within the last couple of days of the election, and they overwhelmingly went for Democrats, which is usually not what happens in a midterm. And I think, and we talked about this a little bit on the show on Thursday, that the heightened visibility of Donald Trump, who, whether you know you love him or hate him, is just a lightning rod mm-hmm. through an election, mm-hmm. uh, alienated a lot of people who were willing to back Republicans typically, and then I think saw these flares that this was, you know, more MAGA than Republican. Well, you know, and that really hurt the party. Well, Jessica, this is almost like when you look back at it, when I look back at it, you know, I, I say to myself, it made no sense that Joe Biden was coming out with the MAGAs, the mega MAGAs, and everybody's mm-hmm. like, what is this guy talking about? He's ginning up hate, you know, they're they're this, they're that. And, you know, I, you know, we all said, well, that's ridiculous. You can't hate half of America. But apparently they knew they were onto something, Jessica Tarloff. They knew that, you know, you tee it up as the MAGA bad people, then the MAGA guy comes out, and it's it's like a, a home run. Well, these are seasoned consultants and political officials and bureaucrats and things, and I, I think that both sides actually, frankly, love to minimize the intelligence of the other people in positions of power, right? Like, say, yeah. oh, it's, you know, so stupid what they're doing, and I, I can admit it, Mitch McConnell is a genius. Right. I mean, yeah. He is able yeah. to maneuver through, you know, not even having a majority sometimes right. and is able to get what he needs to get done. And the second that he does have a majority, suddenly there are hundreds of judges confirmed. Right. Yeah. Which yeah. is really what decides the future of the country anyway. And, um, you know, so Jessica, people, he also sorry. talked about quality candidates, Mitch McConnell. Yeah. I mean, he the, he hit the nail on the head on that one. Well, he was very frustrated um, by what was going on in the primaries. Um, A lot of the Trump-backed candidates he didn't think were going to be winners um, when it came down to it. He was right in a lot of cases with that. Um, And I think that he really felt like, let me do my job, right? Like, I'm in this position for a reason. Mm -hmm. I have decades of experience doing this. And he read the climate right. And that was true as well around um, January 6th and the second impeachment, even though he didn't end up voting for it because he knew it wasn't something that was going to go through. 
he acknowledged how serious what happened on January 6th was for the American public and that we really needed to move past that kind of fervor, right, that kind of election denialism. And I, I remember I gave the example um, of a young woman who votes in New York. We were chatting about her consideration of voting for Lee Zeldin. And I, under, I understand that from a lot of people who feel like Kathy Hochul didn't take crime seriously. Obviously, that's your position. Problems with the, the DA Alvin Bragg here and, you know, Krasner and Philly, et cetera. And I said to her that for me, I couldn't vote for someone who did not vote to certify the election. And I know but, a lot but, of people. But let me just that. let me just interrupt you there for a second, Jessica. I think he said in the beginning it was worth looking at, but he he wasn't one of the ones who was pounding the drum. I mean, I have to come to his, you know, to, to no, his side on that. But you know, it was in the beginning nobody knew what was going on. But in any event, go ahead. In it, in any event, and you know, we feel differently about this, right. which is part of the beauty of America that we can still chat about it. Um, <laughs> but when people went to vote, there's a clear line between folks being able to vote for Republicans, kind of, nor- quote, normal Republicans, people who did vote to certify the election if they were in office, mm-hmm. or people who were running campaigns that didn't talk about 2020 being false, right, or that Joe Biden wasn't legitimate. They ran on bread and butter issues, which is what midterms are typically about, right? They talked about inflation. They talked about gas prices. They talked about education. They talk well, about keeping the country open. But let's talk uh, about someone like uh, Jessica Tarlov. Let's talk about someone like Stacey Abrams, who mm-hmm. was an election del- denier herself in terms of, mm-hmm. you know, voter suppression. And then, of course, in Georgia, we see more people voting, uh, you know, prior to the election and early voting than apparently ever. And uh, she she got beat again. But it was such a it, it was such a thorn in the side of America when she kept saying there's voter suppression, there's voter suppression. And, you know, then all of a sudden she gets her butt handed to her in the second time. You know, it, it's like it happens on both sides. But I don't this- think that's a level of it. I, I think I think what happened with Stacey Abrams and I said that she should have conceded right away, which she did this time. The yeah. first time around. And if you want to run again, that's your prerogative. A lot of people lose their first races. Barack right. Obama lost his first race, right? right. Um, but in terms of saying election denialism at the same level of what was going on with Donald Trump and a lot of the people in his inner circle, and then the fact that all of these people on the ground, people who loved him, felt like the yeah. vote count was wrong. And they had been but robbed. But she Arizona thought the vote count was wrong and that she was robbed. I mean, I don't want I don't want to belabor this point, Jessica, okay. well, but the point is that they're both candidates who thought the counting was wrong. But having talked about that, let's go to something uh, to me is more fascinating. And that mm-hmm. is this guy Fetterman. Uh, you know, he beats Mehmet Oz uh, in a blue state. Break it down according to, you know, your expertise. Well, early vote mattered. Right. A lot of people had voted for him before the debate. Um, But it was interesting in the post-debate polls, it became really clear that folks were voting for party no matter what on this. And they felt like they knew him. He's someone who's been in public service for decades. Right. He's a very strong personality. Um, No one felt that they were confused about what kind of bills he would sponsor, how his votes were go. I understand the flip-flopping on fracking is a very big deal, but I think in the context of running against, frankly, a bad quality candidate, right, someone who doesn't even live in Pennsylvania, the people of the Commonwealth had no choice. 
Yeah, but and you know what? Hillary Clinton didn't live in New York when she ran for senator. I mean, she even went on a listening tour for a year. You know, I mean, that, that's kind of an old hit. But uh, but look. Well, I don't know. I mean, Dr. Oz ate crudite at a Wegmans, and he stood up there five days out from the election and said, you know, make sure you vote before the Steelers game and the Steelers aren't playing on Sunday. I should say two days before the election. Oh, I mean, but, I mean, Fetterman no, couldn't but, get his sentence out. I mean, come on. But, you know, my doctor says I'm okay. And my doctor <laughs> says I'm okay. Come on. I mean, this guy, to me, you could say as a history, his history is letting people, he wants, he, he paroled. Uh, wasn't he on the parole board? All these cop killers, and he wanted murderers out. He wanted mercy for people. I mean, that's how people know him. But well, look, you and I have a different obviously opinion. Obviously not, but he won. Yeah, so he did win. All of these things. He did he win. Won You're by right. A clear and decisive margin. Clearly, so, he did. So, but the, it's also Josh Shapiro, and yeah. you've even we've talked about what an outstanding candidate. Yeah. He was and a candidate for governor the, in Pennsylvania, guys. Exactly. It was the lieutenant governor. He also, as a prosecutor, went after the Catholic Church for abuse of little right. kids, something that everybody can get behind. And similarly to what went on in Georgia, even though they're going to a runoff with Brian Kemp helping Herschel Walker, who is not a good quality candidate either. I well, think Josh Shapiro depends. for people, they saw it as a pair, right? You had Barack Obama, Joe Biden, Josh Shapiro. And John Fetterman all standing hands in the air together, and mm-hmm. that's your ticket. Okay. And yeah. so, but let's talk about Joe Biden coming in. Okay. So you've got you got Joe Biden coming in. To me, he was mm-hmm. a divisive figure. He talked about unity, but then trashed half of America. And then all of a sudden, he comes in, and you know, democracy is going to die if we don't get elected. And you know, the Wednesday, democracy was alive and well; it wasn't dead. <laughs> So, uh, I mean, I'm not quite sure, you know, he's taking a victory lap. I'm not quite sure about what's going to happen now. What, what do you think is going to happen in the Senate? I think that Democrats are, are going to win it. I think that uh, when we get to the runoff, it won't be for control of the Senate. I mean, just from what the votes look like now, I think Cortez Masto, she was. So my Senate prediction before the election was, that Cortez Masto would lose and that Fetterman would win. So it would be the same 50-50 with Kamala Harris being right. the tying, you know, the tying vote. Right. Um, Kelly looks to be fine in Arizona yeah. um, and Cortez Masto looks to be in good shape. And then it'll be interesting for Georgia because, you know, this is a purple state that I would say leans conservative, though, and have the pressure of deciding control of the Senate again. Right. This is what happened in 2020. Right. And they decided to vote for two Democratic senators, I think having that pressure off of them um, will really help Warnock, frankly, um, because people won't feel like I'm deciding the control, right? I'm just going with a guy that I think is a better quali- qualified candidate. And I know you have a, you know, that you know the, the Walker yeah, I know family, Herschel. The yeah. Herschel Walker's yeah. family. Um, but you can't deny that this is one of the people that Mitch McConnell is talking about when he derides these poor quality candidates, you know, well, not having experience. He's obviously an incredible football player. 
um, knows the yeah, state. Yeah, he also he also but, ran a business too. I mean, you know, Warnock was a no, preacher. Not, I mean, you know, they all have person, different backgrounds. But, hey, you know, you look at someone like Fetterman. He lived with his parents till he was like what fifty, and he and, was the mayor of Braddock. Oh yeah, yeah, and, yeah but, but but there's either, some life experience that's relevant. I mean, I, I you can I can't have you trash no. Herschel because you know this guy has fought hard to come from the bottom to where he is, and and he understands what's going on with working people. But listen, we uh, we gotta we gotta end it here. I, I I love chatting with you, Jessica. But what do you see as happening now with the House going to the Republicans? I mean, what's going to happen in the next two years? A lot of investigations. I think that's definitely on the docket. Um, it looks like there's going to be a bit of a fight for the speakership, um, yeah. and Kevin McCarthy's majority will be slim. Right? It could be one seat. It could be five seats. Um, which is, you know, what Nancy Pelosi was working with it. And, and that's difficult unless you have a unified caucus. Um, so I think McCarthy's inability to deliver at the level that was expected. And, I, you know, our, our friend and colleague Dana Perino said, you know, a majority is a majority. That is true. But people were expecting double digits, right? Yeah. People were expecting they wanted 20, that 30. Wave. Yep, wanted that go. wave. Um, so expecting some fighting and then I hope that some stuff will still get done. You know, we have had bipartisan wins, um, in the first two years of the Biden term. And I know Democrats would be open to that. And, uh, that's what the American people want when they put in (laughs) divided government. All right. Jessica Tarlov, thank you so much for being on the the show today. I'm sure I'll see you later today. Uh, but in any event, uh, thanks for sharing your expertise with us. Jessica Tarlong, thanks so much. All right. Thank you. You're welcome. And uh, up next on the Judge Janine Tunnel to Towers Foundation show, I will gavel out with my closing argument. It's all coming up here on the Red Apple Audio Network. It's the Judge Janine Show. This is the Judge Janine Show. Now, here's Judge Janine Bureau. Okay, now it's time for me to gavel out with my closing argument. So, John Fetterman gets elected United States Senator in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. Do you believe it? I don't believe it. This man is about as ideologically left as anyone in Congress. He's probably to the left of Bernie Sanders. He is now a United States Senator. Forget the fact that he can't put a sentence together. All right, and, and, and I understand he had a stroke, but maybe this wasn't the time for him to run. You know, maybe he should be taking care of himself as opposed to being someone who's going out there and, and not willing to show his medical records. So he beats Mehmet Oz. Mehmet Oz, smart guy, you know, ran a decent campaign, but Pennsylvania wanted Fetterman. Do you know that Fetterman is a guy who believes in decarceration? He believes in releasing people who've been convicted of murder early. He believes in mercies for murderers. He believes in paroling cop killers and has done that repeatedly when he was on the parole board. This guy is a leftist, a leftist, and an anti-victim proponent. God help us in America with people like this in the Senate. You know, they said it was going to be a red wave, a red tsunami, and I said in my opening it was more like a red undercurrent. We still have the same problems we had before the election. Economy, inflation, 75% of the 
public thinking the country's going in the wrong direction, crime, crime being the number one issue in New York. And as it relates to crime, I've got a couple of thoughts. You've heard Lee Zeldin, candidate for governor, former congressman, on this show. He was and is an extremely competent fighter for New Yorkers. He did not beat Kathy Hochul. But I must tell you, what Lee Zeldin did was something that I don't think any Republican did anywhere else in the country. And that is, he dragged, because of his numbers being so high, congressional candidates in New York who were Republican across the finish line. And so New York, as well as the country, owes a debt of gratitude to Lee Zeldin, the man who fought the fight, who made it personal, who made us realize what's going on in the state of New York and what we need to do to make it safe. But he didn't win. He didn't win the governorship. We are now left with Kathy Hochul, who, you know what I think of her? I think the woman is inept, incompetent. She said she doesn't understand. She said during the uh, election, understand why Zeldin is so concerned about crime. You know, the fact that some gang members were shooting each other in his front yard while his girls were inside studying, or the fact that someone came up on stage to assault him was all pretty close, Kathy. But Kathy Hochul will do nothing for cashless bail. She will do nothing to turn around that statute and put criminals who need to be in jail, who need to remain away from the public. She will just continue with the policies and talk the talk. It's a sad commentary, but I think what we saw was a real leader in Lee Zeldin. And I hope that Lee Zeldin will continue to think about public office and will continue to fight for New Yorkers. Uh, Unfortunately, the numbers in New York City just weren't there, and he didn't make the 30%. So next week, we'll hopefully have some better numbers for you. We'll know what's going on in the Senate, whether the Senate is still a tied Senate, uh, and whether or not that race on December 6th, that election on December 6th in Georgia, will even make a difference. Uh, Or will it be the most important race in the nation in terms of the Senate and whether or not the Republicans have control? We did everything we could, folks, but it wasn't enough. We We wanted to make a difference. We wanted to make sure that Americans focused on what they wanted and what they needed. They are focused on it. They do know that the economy's out of control and gas prices and food prices and crime. But it wasn't enough to move the needle as much as we wanted. But 2024 is right around the corner. We had some big wins. And don't forget, it's very important that we continue to fight the fight. And I think we can make a difference in 2024. I can't believe we're out of time already. Make sure you join us right back here next week. Same time, same place for the Judge Janine Tunnel to Towers Foundation show. Have a great day, everyone. Take care.